We're taking a little break from Romans for a couple weeks. Um, we have a lot going on in our nation. We have an election coming up. We also have a lot of turmoil, a lot of anxiety, a lot of strife going on. And, and I think that one thing that would um, help us in the area of living in the culture in which we live is to kind of refocus our hearts on who's really in control and refocus our hearts on also the idea that God has called us to be a people, a church of prayer. And if there's one thing we need, I think, in our churches and in our country is more prayer. Amen? Amen. Um, And we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ... I don't want us to fall into the trap of believing that somehow the answer for all the strife, for all the unrest in our country, and really the world, as you look at the whole world, it's not just about our country, but the whole world is in unrest, that somehow, uh, don't make the mistake that somehow we can find the answer in politics or political leaders. Uh, That's not going to be the answer to our problems, beloved. Uh, I agree with Emmanuel. I think that we have... Uh, it's not really a command to go vote, but I think that it is a right as an American, and I think we need to make the most of that. And uh, I'll be sharing something with you last next week a little bit about that. But I think when you look to politics and the political world for answers, uh, they always come up short. They'll always end in disappointment. And basically, they never last It's never permanent, lasting change. We know that only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that, right? Through the transformation of people's hearts, through the transformation of lives, one heart at a time. Uh, But we live in anxious times. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this about anxiety. He, He said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but only empties today of its strength. And if any of you have been anxious over something, no matter what it is, could be family members, could be marriage, could be finances, could be a lot of different things you could pick, right, from the laundry list of things that we could grow anxious over each day. Um, You know, it does sap you of your strength. It really does. It kind of sucks the life right out of you. And, And Paul told us not to be anxious or anything but what? prayer and supplication, okay, bring these requests before God. And so that means becoming a people of prayer is not just the study of a bunch of doctrines. That's important. We've been talking about that in Romans. You have to have a foundation. That's why we're offering a class on Sunday nights, foundations of the faith. Um, If you're at all kind of up in the air where you stand on things, come to that class. It will give you a good biblical foundation of what it means to be a believer and how to fully trust in God and in his word. But it's not just about doctrines. He actually says that, okay, that's an important part of it, but he also wants us, God wants us to pray, to be involved in the activity of prayer, to pray as individuals, to pray as families, to pray with friends, to pray in groups. To pray as the body of believers as a whole, to pray. And that's really what this series is all about. It's about calling our hearts back to prayer. Because prayer, you know, and I'm not standing up here as some big prayer giant, okay? Because prayer is is a hard thing for me to do. And it's hard a lot of times to, you know, I'm not a guy that's down on my knees for hours a day. That's just not who I am. 
So I like to look at, at, at what Paul says about prayer, and we're going to be looking at this, but prayer all the time. It's an attitude. It's not just an action. And, and so I look at it that way, and that kind of removes some of the guilt when I'm not on my knees. But, but in, in the long run, we need to increase that time, right, on our knees. I think every one of us here, would, none of us would say, oh, I pray too much. No. We all could use more prayer because it takes commitment. And at times, it may require reordering our schedule. But it's very, very important. And we must not sacrifice the important on the altar of the urgent how many of you do that? I do that. I'll stand here and admit it. I sacrifice, you know, the, the, the urgent instead of what's really important. Um, you know, the other day, I was down here replacing one of the panes of glass and uh, had to replace some molding. Would have taken a 10-minute job. I've worked with glass for years, so it wasn't a big deal. Big pane of glass over there by the nursery. And uh, I'm down here, and I'm thinking, okay, well, this, this is not urgent, but it's something I can get done pretty quick. So I pull the molding off and uh, take the pane of glass that was in there temporarily because the, the people that put it in didn't have the proper molding, so we had to get some new molding. And, and so um, I take the pane out, set it over here nice and safe, clean out the whole thing and everything, and uh, get the pane. I got my new molding. Nail gun, I'm all ready to go. I put the painted glass in there. I set it in there. It fits nice. And uh, I go to put the top piece of molding in to hold it in. Well, I had the wrong piece. I had the bottom piece instead of the top piece. You say, well, just get the other piece. Well, it was about three feet away. (laughs) You know where this is going, right? It wasn't nice. It wasn't pretty, man. It was just, and everything is within me. It's screaming me. Screamed to me. Screaming at me, look, just take the pain back out, set it back over there, go get the right piece of molding and do this. And I thought, well, let's see here. You know, and I take my hand off the pane of glass, doesn't move. I mean, that baby's sitting there. And I thought, okay, kind of tap it a couple times to see if I can get it to move. Doesn't move. And I thought, okay, it's just three feet, right? What could happen in three feet? This is going to take me a millisecond to grab this thing. And I even put a, like a, a, a paint scraper, about a foot long, and I leaned it up against the paint, just, just in case for like double duty, you know. And everything within me is saying, do not do this. Do not attempt this. Did I listen? No. So I tapped it a couple more times, not moving. I thought, okay. I went to go for this. As soon as I turned my back, I heard this... <laughs> And it's tempered glass, so it just exploded. Okay? A little project that should have taken me 10 minutes took me about four hours. Because the panel, the wood panel, there was no more glass. I couldn't just leave the office open. So the wood panel that was in there when the glass pane was broken before, the the people that replaced the panes took away. Because we didn't need it anymore. (laughs) Um, So I had to go down to Home Depot, get a new piece of wood. Oh, it was just a fiasco. And the whole time, I'm just feeling sick to my stomach. Like, why am I even doing this? Why? Because of that that very principle. Don't sacrifice the important on the altar of the urgent. All right? That took four hours away from what other things that I should have been doing. Okay? And it's kind of a silly story. And you think, well, that's kind of stupid for you to do that. And I agree. Okay? But I'm just being real transparent. And see, we need to be encouraged to pray. We need to be encouraged to pray. 
But we also need to be taught how to pray. And, and that's what, you know, Jesus said. Prayer, after all, is, is a discipline of the Christian life. It's a practice to be learned. It's a practice to be cultivated. It doesn't just happen automatically. Jesus uh, told his disciples when they asked him, they asked him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They went to him and they asked him, teach us to pray in Luke 11. You know, we should be asking that same thing. We should asking, be asking ourselves, you know what? Are we praying? Are we praying in the correct manner? And so this series on prayer for the next couple of weeks is an ideal way to meet that desire. Lord, teach us to pray. Um, this Prayer 31 series is basically, it's a series put out by people who are concerned about our world, about our nation, about where we're going as a country. But it's not intended for any kind of political expression. It's neither right nor left nor centrist. In fact, above all positions, because it's, it's focused on the supremacy of Christ. And that's what we're going to learn in the next couple of weeks. It's not even based on our country as the United States of America. It's a strategy to seek the Lord, um, to call upon him for his blessing, for his favor. And, and I say that because, you know, we have a tendency sometimes to, to look at, as I said earlier, the political world for answers, and, and that always comes up short. So we will pray for his will to be done, his kingdom to come. And you know what? That doesn't mean that we can't love our country in the meantime. As a matter of fact, I think that if we understand prayer properly, we can even love our country more. But there's a biblical mandate here for the church to be on its knees, to be bringing their concerns before him. Uh, Webster defines a premise as this, a basis for understanding and action. A premise is a basis for understanding and action. And the basic premise of this prayer series is the biblical mandate of prayer. It gives us a basic understanding of what we find throughout God's word on the subject of prayer. And this isn't an in-depth sermon or in-depth study on prayer. You could spend years on that subject. But it's meant to be an overview. It's meant to kind of wet our appetite again. It's meant to bring us back to the basics. You've all heard the story of Vince Lombardi who on the first day of football practice every year he'd hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. And he would start at the very, very basics instructing his team how they could be winners on the field. Well, we want to look at this, nat- this, this series in the nature of, you know what? This is prayer. Are we doing it? It's not just a program or an interesting thing to do. It's a spiritual commitment that holds really potential for spiritual results. Charles Spurgeon also said this, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till prayer meetings occupy a higher place in the esteem of Christians. I'd have to agree with him on that. See, when we pray, it's vital that we pray in the right way, but we also pray with the right objectives. There's a lot of people who pray, but they pray in a wrong manner, and they pray with wrong objectives. So, This morning, I want to give you 12 quick 
practical keys to effective prayer. And like I said, this is not an in-depth study. We usually don't do topical studies, but for the next couple weeks, that's what we're going to do, and the subject is going to be prayer. And by the way, the little book you're going to get at the end of the service, um, it's just a guide. It's just something to show you, you know what, it, it, it takes you through 31 days of prayer for uh, different states, for our country, what's going on. It's, it's not political in nature, but we do have to re- be reminded that we need to be praying because we're commanded to pray for those in authority over us, and that includes our government officials. So the first practical key here on the list is basically pray persistently. Pray persistently. Um, Please understand, God's delays are not denials. Sometimes God may delay an answer to prayer, but you know what? That doesn't mean he's not going to answer that prayer. In Revelation 22, 20, we pray even so quickly, come Lord Jesus. But you know what? He hasn't come yet. But you know what? That doesn't mean he's not going to. See, he will. And God will hear when we persist in prayer. Luke 18, 1 says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Have you ever lost heart when you're praying? I'll tell you what, I have. Sometimes I'm praying for something, and it just doesn't seem possible that anything's happening. And you lose heart, and you give up. Maybe it's for that relative that you think, man, that person's never going to come to the Lord, or, or, or whatever it might be. Don't ever lose heart. The Bible is very clear that we must keep on asking, we must keep seeking. Luke 11, we must keep knocking. It says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. But you have to learn from biblical examples. Uh, over in Matthew, turn over to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be jumping around a little bit today. Matthew 15, verse 21. This is basically the the Canaanite woman here. And verse 21, it says, "And, And Jesus went away from there, um, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Look at what it says in verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. That seems kind of rude. But he had a purpose. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. In other words, this is getting kind of obnoxious here, Lord. Send her away. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Verse 26, and he answered, It is not right to take the children, children's bread and throw it to dogs. She said in verse 27, Yes, Lord, Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table. In other words, she's not giving up. She's not giving up. That whole idea of her being a dog and, you know, we just got out of there. Romans chapter 10, we talked a little bit about their idea of anybody else who was not Israeli. um, And their attitude about them. 
Well, it, it comes out right here. And in verse 28, Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. She could have gave up on the first try. She could have said, well, he's not going to help me. You know, he's not going to do anything for me. You look over at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And these are just instances where people didn't give up. And hopefully they're encouraging to your heart. Mark chapter 10 verse 46. This is the blind man who just doesn't give up. Uh, he, He refuses to stop crying out for the Lord. It says in verse 46, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to shut up, be silent. But he cried out all the more. (laughs) Didn't give up. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, He sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me what do you want for me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. (laughs) No big tent. Not a big show. It says, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. He could have gave up the first time when people told him to shut up, but he didn't. He refused to. Look over at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Verse 5. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And he said to them, this is right after basically um, the Lord's prayer, disciples' prayer. He says, he said to them, which of you has a friend, as a, who, who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Um, It's so important that we are reminded of these texts of Scripture. Or in Luke chapter 18, where you see the widow who basically wore down the, the, the judge, the persistent widow. Jesus is telling this parable, Luke 18, 1. And he told them a parable 
to the effect that they all ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will uh, not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long? Over them, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We need to be taught to be praying persistently. Do not lose heart. Do not give up. Secondly, pray insistently. You know, you have to pray at all times. And you have to pray with a spirit kind of, of of desperation, knowing that that's the only way. You know, if you go through the Bible, prayer a lot of times is crying out to God. It's crying out to God. So we have to pray with great fervor. The Bible says in James that the righteous person praying can accomplish much. Over in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And we know how that worked out. Philip Brooks said this about prayer. In prayer, we do not conquer God's reluctance. Rather, we take hold of his willingness. See, that's so important for us to get. That we need to, to pray in a way that it comes from a desperate heart. So thirdly, pray confidently. Pray confidently. Allow God to work in response to your prayer. Uh, Don't be like Abraham or Jacob who tries to answer their own prayer. Have you ever done that? You prayed for something and then, "Ah, I'm going to work this out myself. And then, you know, usually it doesn't work out the way you thought. And, well, I prayed about it. But you kind of went ahead and did your own thing anyway. You know, that's what Jacob did in, in, in Genesis 32, 11. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. And when you stop and you think of, of what he's doing here, okay, he, he's asking God, he's telling God kind of what to do, the same thing Abraham did. But we need to be spiritually confident in prayer, relying on God's unlimited power and unlimited resources. You know, that's a wonderful thing to know that when we we come before God in prayer, that you know what? He is able to do abundantly beyond what we can even ask. That's what Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly, far more abundantly than even all that we can ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, we need to be reminded that we need to pray with some confidence. And I think the church has kind of been beaten down to the point where they've forgotten the whole aspect of prayer. I know as a youth pastor, we used to do rallies. It's actually coming up here, I think. See you at the pool rallies. And we would encourage local uh, kids on their campuses to meet at the flagpole. 
at 7 o'clock, and, and they'd get in a circle, and they'd pray. They'd pray for the teachers. They'd pray for the administration. Fourthly, pray resistantly. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, verse 12. It says, therefore, we do not wrestle, look at this, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces against the, the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. In verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand what? Stand firm. Beloved, we're not fighting a fight against flesh and blood. That's what the Bible says. But it's against these, these rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And if you don't think we need to be praying for our families, for our marriages, for our churches, for our country, for the world, you're mistaken. So we need to recognize the enemy. First of all, we also need to recognize the enemy's tactics. We need to recognize the enemy's tactics. First Porter, or First Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be, look at what it says, self-controlled. And sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Don't be distracted. Okay, don't be distracted by things around you. Uh, don't, don't allow the enemy to take, take what's going on in your life and make that the focal point of everything. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. What's he trying to do? He says, seeking someone to devour. You know, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be around a lion that's seeking to devour somebody. That doesn't sound like a very happy place to be. And, and to be honest with you, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on today within the church you know, you have people out there and thinking they're going to bind Satan and do all this stuff. That's crazy talk. You know, my question to them is, you know what? If you think you have the power through your prayers to bind Satan, who unbinds him? Because the last time I checked, he's not bound. So that's silly talk. All right? That's not stuff that, that needs to be, you don't find that in Scripture. We need to pray in a way that we understand what's going on. We, we, we have to make sure that we are focused on what God wants us to be focused on. How many times have you gone to prayer and then all of a sudden through your head starts 
you know, maybe your, your failure in an area of your life and sin or, or past experiences that maybe you didn't do the right thing. All this stuff starts flooding your mind. That's not just a coincidence. That's the enemy trying to very hard get you refocused on maybe some failure in your life or whatever. We need to stop that and stop, start reminding ourselves who we are in Christ, that we're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that we have resonant within us <clears throat> the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we go to prayer, we need to be recognizing that. This isn't just a, a dumb activity that Christians do. There's potential change that can take place when we pray in a way that God prescribes. Well, fifthly here, pray specifically. We need to acknowledge dependence on the Lord by being specific about things. Um, in Luke eleven five, you notice there the demand didn't ask just for bread, but he asked for three loaves. So we don't want to be just general. You know, sometimes when my grandkids were smaller, you know, we'd lay in bed at night and and you know, and okay, well, let's pray. And they'd always want to pray. And and I remember just from a very young age, you know, some of them would pray. And God, just bless the whole wide world. <laughs> or God, bless all the missionaries. Or do this. Or do, and very general childlike prayers. You know, and it took time for them to understand, well, that's, that's okay. But God wants us to, to, to pray specifically. God's concern is for us as individuals. Not just corporately, but as individuals. And so we need to pray specifically. Avoid generalizations in prayer. When we intercede, it has a specific focus. I mean, praying for a specific missionary by name and their needs is, does a lot more than just saying, God bless all the missionaries in the world. That's why it's good to keep a, a, a prayer journal, a prayer list, however you want to do it. A prayer guide. And that's what we're going to offer you as we go through these 31 days of prayer. Well, the sixth thing here is, is, is pray unceasingly. And you see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I alluded to this earlier, verse 17, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. I remember I was taking uh, somebody to the airport, a speaker, I guess it was. And uh, um, we're getting close to the airport, and I thought, oh, man, I forgot to pray, you know, for this individual. And uh, we're driving down 101 to, to SFO, and I just kind of, just kind of, Lord reminded me, well, I need to pray for him. And I thought it's going to be hard to do it, getting the bags out, and the cops are trying to get you to move on from the airport. So I thought, you know, I said, you know what? <clears throat> Hold on a second. We're just going to, I'm just going to pray for you right now, brother. <clears throat> and he kind of chuckled. He goes, you're not going to close your eyes, are you? <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> and we just had a word of prayer right there while we're driving down the freeway. Okay? See, don't, get, don't fall into the trap that prayer has to be somewhere at a certain time, in a certain posture, in a certain way. You know, it's an attitude. It's an attitude of dependence upon God. That's what prayer is. And yeah, prayer is communicating with God. But you know what? You, you don't just have to do that in the mornings between 5 and 6. You know, that should be something that carries you throughout the day. Somebody said pray arrow prayers. Arrow prayers are the kind that we constantly shoot up to God during the day. 
Arrow prayers are those prayers that are spontaneous. They're natural. Almost like breathing is to us. Arrow prayers occur in the flow of life. When you're in traffic and you hear that siren coming, you see that ambulance whiz by. An arrow prayer prays for whoever's in there or whoever they're going to help. Or you're driving down the freeway and you see an auto wreck. An arrow prayer says, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to pray for these people right now. I don't even know these people. But Lord, you do and you know their needs. Maybe you're in school. An arrow prayer is, hey, you know what, I'm just going to pray. This, this girl, this guy looks like they're having a tough day. I'm going I'm to just pray for them right now, Lord. See, praying for the right words to say in the midst of a conversation. Praying for safety in an uncertain situation. Those are all prayers that we can offer at any time. We need to pray in an unceasing manner. Well, seventhly here, pray initially. (laughs) We probably all mess up in this area. I do. Make prayer your first choice. I mean, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? I mean, as a believer, you know, God's there to help you. You know, he knows what the situation is far more. But how many times, brothers and sisters, do we, we start into a situation and like, okay, I'm going to muscle my way through this. I'm going to work this thing out. I have the ingenuity, the ability to make this thing work. And then finally in exhaustion, we say, okay, I give up. God help. And it happens in different ways. It could happen in a relationship. It could happen in a work environment. It could happen as silly as putting together a kid's toy on on Christmas morning and thinking, well, you got this. (laughs) Only an hour and a half later, you've got bolts and washers and stuff everywhere. The kid's crying, and you're going, what happened to this situation? Did you pray about it? Or did you feel pretty self-confident that, you know, I'm mechanically inclined. I can deal with that. See, we need to pray initially. Make sure... That, that we're crying out to God, seeking God's direction, seeking God's blessing, seeking God's provision should be the first priority in our lives, not an afterthought. Well, the eighth thing here is that we need to pray unselfishly. Be sure that the focus of your prayer is not always inward but upward and outward as well. Um, Look over at John chapter 17. John 17. Because John points out here, basically, the Lord does, points out for us. And and this is, is really a pattern that Jesus laid down. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And I'll just read it here. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And look at what he says. He says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In verse 6, I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Here's what he says in verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And what does he pray for them? He, verse, verse 11, he says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, here's what he prays. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So he prays for protection. Verse 12, he goes on here, and he says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me, I have guarded them, and, have, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask, look at this, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them or set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent, have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, and they also may be sanctified in truth. And he goes on here, I says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, and that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, and they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love, love them even as, I, as you loved me. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am going to see my glory that you have given me because you loved before loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made them uh, I, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So you see here, he prays for their protection. He prays for our oneness with him. Um, He prays for our joy, even there in in verse 13. He prays for our sanctification. 
All right, he's praying for us. You know, when we go to prayer, we need to be reminded that there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself or praying, asking a prayer request, nothing wrong with that at all. But don't allow that to be the majority of what you're concerned about. You know, our, our, our prayer should be outward. Our prayer should be what, to, what does God desire in this situation? It's not always about what we want. It should never be about what we want. That's what being a disciple of Christ is, right? Dying to yourself, setting your will aside for the will of the Father. So pray unselfish, unselfishly. And then the ninth thing here, pray boldly. And this is, I like this part because it's, it tells us why we need to pray boldly. If you look over at Hebrews, first of all, we have a high priest. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Hebrews 4, 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And then he gives an example here, an illustration. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then with what? Confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The reason so many people do not go to God in time of need is because they don't understand who God is. Even believers have a faulty idea of who their God is. And here we're told, no, Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He's not some God up there just manipulating things like we're some uh, pieces on a, ch- on a chessboard. No, he's concerned. He says that he's able to sympathize with us. He understands our weaknesses. And so we need to go to him in confidence. You know, if you've ever gone to somebody for advice, you know, you could get one of two reactions. Sometimes seek out people's advice. And years ago, I sought out a local pastor's advice on something. And by the time this guy got done talking, I felt about this big. (laughs) I felt like an idiot. And I walked away from that and said, you know what? But I didn't get anything out of this at all. <laughs> you know. Um, why? Because there was no sympathy there. There was no understanding the situation that I was trying to communicate. There was nothing. Now, did I run back to that person the next time an issue came up? I don't think so. <laughs> you know? Um, and it was, it was, it was frustrating you know, but when you get somebody who comes alongside of you and says, you know what, I understand what you're going through, and, and let me help you with this. And you know what, I've gone through the same thing. You know, you can identify with somebody like that. You want to run to somebody like that. You know, and that's what, what, what God is to us. He's, he's somebody who understands exactly what we're going through, no matter what kind of mess we're in, what kind of mess we created in our life. God sees it perfectly for what it is. You're not going to surprise him with something. I mean, sometimes I think when we, when we have prayer meetings and, and we're praying, it's almost like we're trying to inform God of what, you know, what's going on, you know, in our lives as if he doesn't know, right? I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. He knows everything. Well, we have a high priest, but we also have an advocate. First John 2, 2, 1 says, my little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. And we're, we're doing a study on First John, and that's one of the purposes of First John that we he wrote this book so they wouldn't sin. But he says here, but if anyone does sin, 
implying that you're going to. (laughs) We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I mean, having an advocate is something that's just an incredible blessing when you understand who the advocate is and what what the nature of what the advocate does. So we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We're to pray boldly because he's our high priest, he's our advocate, but we also are to pray boldly because even we ourselves are a priest as believers, the priesthood of believers. And we're, we're instructed to come boldly before the throne of grace for God's mercy. Don't be shy about prayer. The tenth thing here is to pray biblically. Pray biblically. Um, do not pray prayers that are contrary to Scripture. That just, it's not going to get you anywhere. Um, as a youth pastor, I remember on Wednesday nights, you know, we'd, we'd have students, and at the end, we'd have prayer requests. And there'd always be some kid, hey, pray, you know, uh, for my test tomorrow. I got a big test tomorrow, but I haven't had time to study it all, so pray I do well. Well, you know what? That's a stupid prayer. I'm sorry, that's just a stupid prayer. You know, if, if you're going to go to God and say, hey, I'm not going to do any, anything. I just want you to bless me because I just feel like you should bless me. You know, help me pass this test even though I haven't studied. That's a prayer that's contrary to Scripture. Pray according to God's will. See, God's will is never contradicted, beloved, by God's word. It's never contradicted by God's word. James says, you know what? If you don't know what to pray, if you're lacking wisdom, what does he say? Ask God. And he'll grant wisdom to one who earnestly seeks it. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Or Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 where basically God tells us that he wants us to know his will. Paul writes there, and so from the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled, look at this, with the knowledge of God's will, his will, and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that God's will for your life is, is something that, that he took. He has a will for you, but, but he, he took it and he hid it somewhere. And for the rest of your Christian life, you have this hide and, hide and seek game with God. No, that's, that's not a biblical approach to understanding God's will. There's a lot of things that God has told us to do. He told us to be people of prayer. He told us to be people of the word. He told us to come together in fellowship to love one another. He, he, he's instructed us to do a lot of things that are his direct will for us. So we need to do those, and then, and then whatever we do will be within the, the will of God. Because we know God's will by walking in the Spirit, right? Ephesians 5 tells us that. Also in, in 1 John three twenty two, it tells us that we need to obey God's will in order to be effective in prayer. If he, uh, uh, 1 John three twenty two, it says, Whatever you, we ask, we receive from him because we what? Keep his commandments and do what pleases him. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people that are out there doing everything that displeases God 
And yet they're quickly to tell you, oh, I pray all the time. Well, I don't know what you're praying for, but maybe you need to start obeying what God has instructed you to do. And maybe that'll help you out of your situation. For our prayers to be effective, we need to be obedient to God. Have a, a spirit of obedience. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfectly obedient all the time. None of us are. And then the eleventh thing here: pray unitedly. United prayer ought to be consistent, regular. It ought to be fervent. Um, you see that in the New Testament, Acts chapter two. People coming together in prayer so many times had preceded a lot of the the great awakenings throughout history, spiritual awakenings. The spiritual awakening that swept through major portions of America in the mid-1800s began with a single prayer meeting in New York City. We need to come together around times of prayer as believers. We offer a prayer time here at 9.30 every morning over in the classroom. And then the last thing, last thing here, pray patiently. Pray patiently. What do you mean by that? I mean, praying patiently means that you're, you're willing to listen to God. See, we got this wrong concept of prayer. We think that prayer is just us going to God and letting him know what we need. Like he's some divine Santa Claus. Okay, that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is, is that. It's, it's taking our needs, our requests. We're, we're instructed to do that. But it's also spending time quiet. When's the last time you went to prayer and you didn't say anything? You didn't address God at all. You just waited on God to speak to your heart through his word, through his spirit. Missionary wrote this. It is in silent moments between prayers that God speaks to us. And in this silent communication with our Heavenly Father, we are changed. We are not there primarily to get things, but to realize God's presence. Moses understood that. John the Baptist understood that. Paul the Apostle understood that. See, praying patiently means waiting on God, being willing to wait, wait for God's provision, placing your full confidence in him, relying on his unlimited ability to provide. It's not based on your limited ability. It's on God's unlimited ability. Wait for the power of God. Power to witness, power to serve. See, that's something that God desires us to understand, to have. And so as you put these principles into practice, I think the last thing is just to pray naturally. You know, prayer is very much communicating with God. Communicate with God in your own language, from your own heart. And that's going to look differently for different people. You know, please understand there's no official prayer language when you enter into prayer. Um, I've been with some individuals, 
not so much in this church, but in another church I was at, that this one guy, I mean, you know, when we would come to a time of prayer, he kind of had a, <clears throat> I don't know what kind of voice, but it, 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 he didn't have a deep voice at all. Kind of a mid-range to upper voice, you know, kind of, I want to say Mickey Mouse, but that's not, you know, it wasn't that high and shrill. But he just kind of talked like that all the time, kind of soft-spoken. And then I remember we'd have our prayer time on Monday nights at the church, and he'd come in and, and we'd pray. And the first time I heard this guy pray, I thought, I, 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 I was astonished because I'm like, who is this? I mean, all of a sudden, our deepest heavenly father, and it had this language that he spoke. I don't know what it was. And I'm thinking, wow, this is weird because this isn't how this guy talks. It was like he became somebody else. And see, so many times we feel that we need this certain language or this certain thing to, to when we come before God. Should we be reverent? Yes. But you know what? If we can't be who we are, we need to think about that. Communicate with God as freely and naturally as possible. Remember that he knows you, that he loves you, that he accepts you, that he understands you. And when you pray to him, you know what? He hears and he will answer according to his will. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that we would just take just these suggestions that we want over this morning rather in a hurriedly fashion, but Lord, that somehow you would spurn our hearts to be men and women of prayer. And Lord, I know that we could all increase our time in prayer each and every day. And Lord, I pray that as we receive this little book at the end, Lord, that that would just be one of the tools that we can be in prayer for our country, for this world we live in, for our neighbors, for our friends. Father, that you would use us for this, this month of October to do what you've instructed us to do and that it may even continue beyond that. And Father, we just pray that you would uh, do your work in the hearts of your people here this morning. If there's anyone here this morning who's yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, who's yet to have been transformed by the glorious grace of God through the message of Christ and Christ alone, Father, that you would um, do that work now as only you can. Um, Lord, we, we acknowledge your sovereignty in the area of salvation, and yet we're still instructed to pray. And we're, we're asked that you would uh, draw that heart that may not be yours close to you. Give them a proper understanding of their need of a Savior and convict them of their sin. And for us as believers, I pray that we would walk out of here encouraged, that we would understand that even though the times are dire and the world we live in seems to be falling apart at the seams, Lord, we're still here, so you're not done yet. And Father, there's still work for us to do. And I pray that we would do it mightily in the power of your spirit through the power of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.